Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Tom and Helen, we are so grateful that Tom and Helen have come down. As I said yesterday, we tried to lure them down with the sun and, you know, say, come and spend a weekend at the seaside and it's going to be amazing. And, and then the weather turned. <laughs> but they're loving it anyway, aren't you? We had a great morning with them yesterday with our leaders and we're very excited about what they're going to come and say to us today. So if you don't know, Tom and Helen, we've known them for 20 years and they have been associate pastors with Trent Vineyard in Nottingham for all of that time. And they've overseen so many ministries and, you know, 75 staff between them by the end and oh, tons and tons of stuff they're uber gifted and talented we love them to bits um so I'm just going to give you a big welcome they've actually just left Trent at the end of last year because they've helped plant 10 churches but they are now planting their own so they're taking a huge step of faith because they feel God's asked them to start a new church and it's called Derwent Valley Vineyard so let's give them a huge round of applause Great. Well, it is an absolute pleasure to be here, I have to say. We, um, as Keely said, we spent the morning with some of the leaders yesterday. And um, as we came in yesterday, it was just such a sense of this is an amazing family. And I felt it again this morning. And, and you know, knowing that you've been around, is it 90-something years? And just the deep roots that are here. And, and both of us were just sensing, like... The deeper the roots, the bigger and stronger the tree. So we just feel so excited, the stage that you're at, and um, there's a lot more to come. And just, again, a sense of excitement as we spent time with the leaders yesterday is God is just expanding your heart and your capacity. And, um, yeah, I think the next few years are going to be really interesting um, what's going to happen. Should we introduce ourselves? So yes, we're Tom and Helen, as you can see. <laughs> and we've been actually married for 32 years, I think it is now. And we've got um, four daughters, three grandchildren. We've fostered for 10 years as well, so had about 17 kids through our house. And um, but our kids have all left home now, so we're like empty nesters. Even the dog left home. He's not dead, but he left home. And, um, and we've now just yeah, left the security and safety of very nice jobs and everything else at Trent and God has called us on so I feel I'm entitled to a midlife crisis so I'm brewing up for it Um, I have the tattoo so I'm quite pleased with that so uh, who knows what's next but yeah exciting times for us sorry I've said it all no no that's (laughs) fine that's fine Um, it has it's been really lovely to come and see um, well it's just wonderful to be here there's an element in which I feel completely jealous because you have an amazing building, premises, um, real sense of a loving community here. The people that we've met so far, you've just been delightful. So uh, it, it's exciting on the one hand for us to think, oh gosh, we could now get to this stage in a few years' time maybe. Um, the way God's called us, we have uh, been asked to just lay everything down. Our salaries, our home, it's all going. It's that sense of the pearl of great price. And it's not a brave thing we're doing because God has spoken so clearly to us. It just became a question of obedience. You know, it's hard to call Jesus Lord and Saviour 
and then say, oh, I'll just take a pass on that. So we, we've been nudged out of the nest. We're in free fall, hoping the wings will work as we uh, open them on the way down as we plant our new church. But today, it's all about compassion. Oh, we've got a long crack on. I have to, oh, you can sit down. After Tom said that, just to encourage all of us, really, there is nothing more exciting when we start living the life of what God actually calls us to. And, and I had a stage probably about a year ago and I was reading the Bible and I thought, I don't know why I'm even bothering reading this because I'm not living this life anymore. I've become safe and I've got all the trappings of, of, of power and status and I had a PA and we had good salary, all of that. And it's like God has said again, he's done this to us before, Everything needs to go. And, and although it has been a real struggle, if I'm honest, now it's all kind of gone. The freedom and the liberation to now run in what God's got. So just that's just for free. I haven't even written that down, so I better crack on. But anyway, um, just thinking about... Um, Simon and Keeley asked uh, for me or us to share a bit about our heart for um, compassion. And I guess for me, it's how as a church can we uh, be a compassionate church? And uh, looking around this room, for all of us, isn't it wonderful that we feel loved and accepted being here today? And yet if I was to go around and ask each of your stories, you've probably all got a history. You know, you've all got things that aren't perfect, aren't great. Maybe things you're really struggling with and, and grappling with. And yet you can come in here and you'll know that you're loved. And I sometimes think, you know, that's great. But how many more people out there maybe feel inadequate, not good enough, and maybe even make assumptions about us having it all sorted, whereas I haven't got it all sorted, absolutely far from it. And I'm guessing some of you won't have either. And uh, how can we embrace people? And I feel this church is at a time when your roots are deep, you're good people, you're biblically on it and all of that but is it time now to think how can those doors open even wider and allow more people to come in I heard a story uh, some time ago of um, a guy that had just come out of prison and he'd gone to his local church and as he was leaving the service in that tradition the the vicar shook his hand and said oh I haven't met you before and he said oh yes I've I've just come out of prison and um, wanting to join a church and I live just just nearby and and the vicar said oh, no, I'm sorry, we, we don't want pe- people like you in our church. And he, he had to walk away. I, um, again, well, about a year ago, met um, uh, some of the transgender c- community, one particular individual, first of all. And I have to say, I was a bit scared, really, because I, I don't understand. And, and um, he, she, was, was very uh, gracious to me and said, you can ask me anything. And I thought, I'm so naive, I'm so... Um, I just don't understand, and I was able to ask lots of questions about, you know, why and how and hear uh, the story. And then um, so filled with compassion that I said, you know, I'd love to get, you know, a few of you together and just to hear your story. And um, so we put on a, like an event and about six people from the transgender community came and, you know, it, it changed everything for me because when I heard the story of, of what they'd been through, um, how they... Not all of them, but, you know, a few of them had met and encountered Jesus. But it was, it was church. And one of them said this, um, many of us have walked away from church with no intention of ever going back. Yet the desire to search and find the real God runs very real and very deep. And I thought, wow, that's, that's quite something. You know... Um, we have done a lot of work with um, refugee and asylum seekers and again never would have anticipated that 
you know, in our communities, behind closed doors, how many people um, from all walks of life are really struggling. And this one particular refugee said, you know, you have nothing. You wake up cold, you wake up hungry, not knowing where food will come from. You know, oftentimes your stomach is empty, but you can't feel it because you're worrying about where you're going to sleep. This was a a young man, actually, who was destitute, so he had no um, right to receive any benefits or anything. And then when he eventually did get a house, he then, I think the next day after he moved in, he had his windows smashed and, um, and the abuse from the local people. And yet he didn't know he was allowed to call the police, so he didn't even know. Those people are probably living in our communities I mean, whether, whatever backgrounds. Another young girl I've um, been coming alongside, she would turn up to church most weeks after quite a heavy weekend of drugs, alcohol, sex, the whole lot, and every week would just come broken. And, um, and to me, these are the people we should be opening the doors wide to and demonstrating God's love to. But actually, it's, it's tough. And when I tell you those stories, I wonder what you actually... What comes to mind? Do you think, oh, no, oh, no, we couldn't be doing that? Or do you think, oh, yes, or, or maybe fear? Or, or maybe you go, no, but the Bible says. I don't know what comes to your mind. What does it make you think or feel? But, you know, when we think about those who we need to draw alongside, you know, who are the poor? And really, they're the people in society that feel powerless. People maybe who lack the basic necessities that they need to sustain life. Without resources, without a voice... They lack not only power, but the social respect and material goods. And for me, it's the last, the lost and the least. And as I said, they're closer to us than we probably think. I mean, you only have to see a few documentaries and statistics on the desperate need and the poverty in our own country. We don't have to travel anywhere to see it. And whilst I know in my own heart, these are the people I want to reach. And, you know, just starting a church, you think, yes, these are the people. But actually, often when people come in to our communities or, or into our lives, it's, it's complicated. You know, but I long for the church to be a safe place for people to meet and encounter Jesus and experience him. And when I say the church, it's not just about this building. What does it mean for us to give a radical welcome in our own hearts and our own lives to allow people to come into who we are? You know, through hospitality, through being kind to somebody we might meet on the street, to buy someone a coffee, whatever it is. And I think it has to start with us. And if it's the overflow in our own hearts, then that will then impact the church. And that is a huge challenge. The truth is, it's actually much easier to be and hang out with people like ourselves. But actually, when we do that, all we do is is fuel and affirm our beliefs. And in a way, can end up putting more walls up because we're like, well, this we're all the same. This is what we believe. But actually, the more we open the doors and allow um, all kinds of people into our lives and our community. And one of the things I, I loved, actually, about Trent was um, you'd be there on a Sunday and you've got every kind of person possible. You've got bunch of guys outside you know having a fag that's great you've got a bunch of people inside from ex-prisoners alcoholics drug addicts policemen lawyers it was like proper community and that's what community is about a radical welcome of many many different types of people and it's such an exciting thing but I think often it's easier to ignore the needs or not allow our emotions to be impacted you know, as soon as you start, and this was my situation with some of the guys that I've met, seeing people, hearing stories, seeing faces, 
and kind of touching people um, for ourselves, it changes everything. And uh, it's much safer to stay in the bubble, to be honest, because once you get out there, it really does impact you. I remember when we first started fostering, I had this very um, romantic idea of what it was going to look like. You know, we're going to open our doors and be like the Waltons and, you know, beautiful children and they sleep, you know, the tidy rooms and all of that. And I soon realised after this romantic idea, like the first placement we had, and... Um, Oh, my goodness. We only had him for about four months, but the day he went, I was celebrating. It was, like, such hard work and so complicated. But I remember thinking, that's it. We've done it now. I've done my bit, I'll, you know. And then, and then we'd get um, another story. The, the, the social workers would contact us and say, we have this young person, this is their background. And as soon as I, like, heard the story and the background, it's like, oh, Tom, we have to, we have to, we'll have to have this one. And then another one, and then another one. And then 17 kids later, we finally said, we're on a bit of a break. But it's been an incredible journey. But when you start seeing and feeling and touching it messes with your head but in a good way um yeah in a really good way and the truth is we can um we can really follow our inspiration from Jesus and it's easy to say well God hasn't spoken to me about this or in the Bible God Jesus Holy Spirit we have absolutely had a mandate to do this stuff we don't need to be we don't need a word from the Lord put it that way and uh, when you read the Gospels, what I love as I, as I read the Gospels is that this, is, this was Jesus. Everywhere he went, he spent time with the last, the lost and the least. It was his mission um, to do that. We see that he was deeply moved again and again by the needs of those around him. And yet Jesus' own story was one of um, poverty and rejection. He identifies uh, with people, the last, the lost and the least. You know, Jesus didn't come into the world to live a comfortable, secure, royal life, and yet he, king of kings and all that. But his life he lived was difficult at best. He grew up, lived and died in poverty. Jesus was a refugee, often homeless, hungry, betrayed by his closest friends. He suffered great losses, jeered at, spat at, and of course ultimately died. His worldly effects consisted of just the clothes on his back. Jesus knew about loneliness. He was despised, hated and rejected. Jesus knew the feeling of pain. He knew what it was like to feel, to hurt deeply. And because of that, he not only identifies with each of us, which is so wonderful when we're not feeling our best, but he identifies with those outside often of the church walls that we might be uh, wanting to reject or judge or have an opinion on. And I love that, you know, Jesus felt the needs of all classes and kinds of people. He felt compassion for the lost. I mean, there's many examples in the Bible. When he saw crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. In Matthew, it says that. He feels compassion for sinners. And we all know the beautiful story of the woman caught in adultery who was presented to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the religious rulers of the day stood her up wanting to humiliate her because they thought they were so much better. And Jesus' response was one of gentleness and compassion and suggested that if any of them had never sinned, you know, um, they could throw the first stone. But actually, we can read that story and forget that is such a powerful story. What would we do with someone in our community or in our midst who'd committed adultery or some um, uh, perceived sin in our mind? How would we handle them? Would we be as gracious And Jesus' response was one of gentleness and compassion. 
He feels compassion for the sick. And again, there's just so many examples of, of uh, Jesus coming alongside people and healing people, setting them free emotionally, spiritually, all of that. He had compassion for those seeking. I mean, Zacchaeus, you know, his great little story that, again, we read so often. But actually, if you look at it, he was really a bad chap, you know, in many ways. And the fact that Jesus noticed as he scuttles up the tree and he notices him and actually wants to spend time with him. I mean, you know, if we were to reflect over the last month, how many hours have we spent with people, not just not like us, but people that the world might see as, you know, um, people we shouldn't be with? And I love that probably Jesus was, often people would have looked and thought, oh, he must be an alcoholic or a glutton or this, because he was with those people. And um, are we prepared to actually go and hang out and become friends with people that are maybe, you know, don't look perfect? But Jesus loved them at the deepest level of his being, and it's the same today. And I think it's so easy to base our evaluation on a person with what we see with our eyes or hear with our ears and not focus on actually what lies beneath. And uh, the more I, I, I come into contact with people um, and you begin to hear people's stories, a bit like the transgender community, you begin to hear the stories and then suddenly it does change everything. <clears throat> I love that um, John Wimber, uh, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, I'm sure you've heard him mentioned, and uh, he had such an encounter with the Holy Spirit and he felt God say to him, and really for the, the Vineyard at the beginning, but actually now it's as relevant. My advice to you is to use the outpouring of the Spirit in doing good for the poor. Spend the power of God helping the poor. And it's wonderful that we all have the gift of the Holy Spirit in us. And it's great that we can have meetings like this and we can worship God and, and, and have God impact our lives. The Holy Spirit come and touch us and that's brilliant. But actually, what would it look like to spend the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in helping the poor, in being out there with the last, the lost and the least? You know, our story for Tom and I, for many years, um, God really uh, planted a seed in us to reach out to the poor. I've told a bit of our story yesterday, which I won't do today, but right from getting married, uh, we met and married in 12 weeks, which is ridiculous, but it's worked, thank the Lord. Um, and, um, and actually, very early on, God just uh, challenged us to go, and uh, we ran a house for the homeless, we did stuff in urban priority areas, and, and it was amazing how God just allowed us that. We were frustrated, because we thought why doesn't the church do this? So we didn't really like church very much. But then we were quite arrogant as well with a bit of our attitude. That's another story. But it's interesting how God really formed in us a heart to do something. And, um, and then when we came into Vineyard, which for us was a massive step because we're, Tom was from a Catholic background. We'd been in like Church of England for ages, quite traditional. And suddenly we'd come into the Vineyard, which felt like home. And everything that the, the values that the Vineyard had was like, this is what we always like dream church would be about. So it was a very exciting time for us. And particularly the, the, the vision and values of the Vineyard is actually compassion, reaching out to the last, the lost and the least is such a priority, which has been brilliant. And, um, oh, Tom, why don't you come and just say a bit? So when we, when we started in the vineyard, what was exciting is our first kind of brief was what could we get going? Um, and I thought Tom would just do that bit. Um, I'll be ever so quick. Oh, should I start yeah. that now? Um, <laughs> the thing that really impacted me when uh, I was invited by John and Debbie to come on staff just a day a week and what they wanted was to get ministry off the ground ministry with the poor and so the two stories I want to tell you about how we got ministry going in the prisons and also 
the ministry on the streets with the homeless before we had any facilities. So let me start with the, the prisons. I thought, great, I'll contact the chaplain, go in and see. And one Sunday, after we shared this vision with the church, um, a student came up to me and said, oh, well, I go in on a Monday night. Would you like to come with, with me and see what we're doing? And I remember when I was a student, I used to go into the prisons, and I thought to myself, no, 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 now I'm, uh, I'm being employed. I'm going to make my own contact. So I pursued that for two or three weeks. No door opened. And then humbly, I went back to that student and said, can I come along with you? And, and that's what we did. And um, met the chaplain, got involved there and it's amazing how God just blessed um, blessed us as we as part of a team would go in every Monday we'd have to be there at six and we took worship in alongside the, the chaplain just um, we would chat to the guys uh, all the guards would leave and we'd have this service it'd be about 60 or so uh, and uh, I could tell you lots of fun stories about that but I just mentioned it briefly yesterday. I mentioned it briefly today. My daughters used to love it because they'd, they'd answer the phone on a Monday night and people, oh, is your mum or daddy? Oh, no, dad's in prison, sorry. <laughs> no, don't say that again. And, uh, it, it, but there's an element of we went along and supported it. And the key thing I want to mention there is that we went and joined what God was already doing through Christians. And similarly, when we were uh, working on the streets, we thought, well, okay, how do we do this? And we went and offered, because Vineyard, we had plenty of worship leaders and we wanted to get them out on the streets. We went along, talked to a few of the churches and what they were doing, how they were feeding the homeless on certain nights. And and then they directed us to a Monday night uh, team, small church. They were feeding, but they didn't have any sort of backup. So we went along, took worship, and um, it was a wonderful thing to do. And then over time, the Friday night came up, and then we were doing the Friday night and continued to support the Monday night. But the thing that struck me is... It's the personal element in this because God was working in my heart, softening my heart. And I remember one Monday night I was out there and it was cold and a guy said, come, come and have a look at this. So he took me on a walk and there was underneath an archway, there's a whole load of litter and there was two homeless people lying in the litter and still gets me. <laughs> Try not to. It passes. It's all right. It, it just, it just profoundly affected me. And then that night, I went home. I couldn't sleep. And we have a, a men's prayer meeting on seven o'clock on a Tuesday morning. So I went back to see if they were okay. And uh, there they were. They were sort of up and about, making on a little stove. They, these homeless people, and they, they were there because they couldn't get into a hostel because they had dogs and that were very precious to them. But the thing was, it was that sense of being impacted personally. Um, God woke something up and there was a sort of, we've got to do something. Mm. And, and it, that was the early stages of us as a church looking for venues and looking mm. to respond. But the key thing is we worked alongside other mm. Christians and what they were doing first. Great. <clears throat> and actually, you know, Tom just telling that, where can these people go? Where else can they come? You know, if we don't, as a church, we've got such good news to bring. And if we don't open our doors and of our hearts, never mind the church, where else? Where else? What hope is there for them? And I think, you know, 
I'm aware of time, but, you know, we could talk about different rotors and ministries we started. Actually, I feel like that's almost irrelevant. What we long for is to meet people to meet and encounter Jesus. But often it starts with a practical demonstration of his love. And, um, you know, we had the privilege, a number of things at Trent, to, to start things off where we gave away practical provision, food, clothing, furniture, all of that. And all that's great. And that's often a great starting point. But the thing that is profound for me is that as we reach out, we also meet and encounter Jesus through these people in incredible ways that you just almost can't imagine. And also, we we have an opportunity to provide a place to be Jesus. And I just think of one particular um, story, a, a, a woman called Kath, and uh, she used to come um, to the Arches, one of our projects, very much affiliated with the church. And she came every week, and she'd come completely drunk. I mean, she could barely walk. And then we just put her on the sofa put a blanket over her and we just we just love her and she'd often we everywhere and clear it up and we did this week after week after week and and I remember thinking it wasn't down to me at all but as a community we just decided what does it look like to love Kathleen thought just just to love her come in you're welcome clean clothes sleep sleep it off sleep it off and never at any point did we feel like we needed to challenge her drinking or her behaviors it was just let's what does it look like to love her And then as she kind of emerged from this um, pit of despair she was in, she then, like, just very naturally got more involved and then she'd help us, like, set up at the arches and then she came on team and then she got... Then she'd come to the the church services and loved it. And as we loved on her, as she encountered Jesus through us, her life was completely transformed. And I um, got to baptise her a couple of years later. And she came to faith, she met Jesus and um, and her life completely transformed. And not because we said she had to change anything, it just happened. And... um, and then she actually, she got cancer and she died and it was such a privilege to do her funeral and then meet all her family. And her family were like, oh my goodness, her, her life completely changed. And that's what this is about, uh, as much as it's about whatever we might set up, um, as it were. So just to encourage you in that. But as, as followers of Jesus, we are all called. And, uh, you know, just for 30 seconds, what might it look like for you in your life, in your work, the people in your street, maybe your family, maybe people you consider kind of sinners. What might it look like to walk a mile in their shoes? And I just encourage you, you know, I'm very aware of the mercy and grace we've, we, you know, each of us have received. And um, as we, we look to reach out, what might that look like? And I just think it can be the smallest of things. It doesn't have to be a big grand anything. It can be just being kind. And I just think kindness is such a powerful thing, you know, and um, we never know when we might need that kindness for ourselves. But, you know, it's like whether it's somebody homeless or someone on your street or a colleague at work or a young person in your classroom or university or college, whatever it is, what is the small steps, the small things with great love? I think it was Mother Teresa said. And just to finish, you know, to say it is a messy business. You know, if you want a safe, secure life, don't even go there. Don't even open your heart up or your mind or allow Jesus to impact you because once you do, it really does... um, mess with you it will impact 
emotions. It's about investing in people and not productivity, which is most frustrating, when, especially someone like me who likes everything neat and tidy. I'm a nurse background, and I like my beds done and my tidy ward and order, basically. And it, there's no order. There's no order. It's about taking slow, long steps in the right direction for years and years and years. Uh, with the Arches, um, the charity um, I was part of, it was 10 years, and then we began to see people really uh, lives transformed by Jesus. But 10 years of faithfully walking in the same direction, of showing up again and again and again. And not because we, waited, we, we thought God needed to tell us, we just knew we were being obedient. Day after day, heart-rendering stories, backwards, forwards, that's the nature of it, because actually it's good for us. We'll rarely have uh, solutions, um, and I think it will be inconvenient in our busy, driven lives where every second counts and every part of our lives planned. Are we prepared to have God to disrupt our lives, disrupt our timetables? It may not come naturally, but work at it. You know, small things, small steps. It'll be painful, our hearts will be broken as we allow ourselves to see and feel the people in the world um, as through God's eyes. It'll be frustrating at times. It takes resilience, patience, consistency, authenticity. But we do have the Holy Spirit. And that, to me, allowing him, and again, it's a dangerous prayer to pray, but if you genuinely want to be impacted, uh, your heart's to be open, to be compassionate, and you ask the Holy Spirit to begin to do this, be prepared for him to answer that prayer. So I'm just aware of time. So really, I'm going to finish, I think, with... Yeah, just think about this in the everyday ordinary of life. I think that's the most important thing. As I say, it's the small things as we go about our business in whatever we do. And uh, we are commissioned to be the human face that shows God's love by being an outward-looking, compassionate church. And it will transform this community and beyond. And one of the things we have noticed over the years is we've faithfully done this. It's like the rich and influential take notice and uh, the establishment begin to listen to us. And I found over the last 10 years particularly, I've been able to have a voice with the city council, um, social services. I mean, much bigger because of what we've practically done. And it's like they've taken the church seriously. Because like, actually the church really deliver on what they say they're going to do. But then just to end with, a, it's quite a harsh quote this from Charles Spurgeon, but I love it, a, a 19th century preacher. And he said this, These places of worship are not built that you may sit here comfortably. And here's something that shall make you pass away your Sundays with pleasure. A church which does not exist to do good in the slums and the dens and the kennels of the city is a church that has no reason to justify its existing any longer. A church that does not exist to take the side of the poor, to denounce injustice and to hold up righteousness is a church that has not the right to be. And it's like, oh. But actually, that to me is, a, is a, like a cry to get out there and do this stuff. So I've probably gone on long enough. So it would be great just to um, see what God wants to do, if that's all right. Tom, do you want to? So um, let's, let's just stand. Uh, I'm aware I've said a lot and all in a bit of a whirlwind. But um, let's just stand and just take a, a bit of time. And let me oh. just, uh, Micah 6, 8, I just sort of felt really prompted to speak that one out um, because I think it sort of fits really well so if you I'm just we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit and I'm just going to say that scripture and then we'll move on so just Lord Jesus thank you
for this time together. Thank you that you speak to our hearts and our minds. And we just welcome your presence. We welcome your Holy Spirit. And I'm just reminded of Micah 6, 8, that you, what you require of us is to love mercy, to act justly, and to walk humbly with our God. And Lord, as, as we open our hearts and our minds to grow in this area of compassion, that's what we're praying for, Lord, that we be a people that love mercy, act justly, and walk humbly. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more, or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside. <laughs>